Sociology as Political Education by Carl Mannheim. Uh, this was a series of lectures given in 1930 the University of Frankfurt. I'll just start at lecture one. The subject matter, method, and attitude of sociology. Our first question is, what is sociology? This question requires us to carry out a preliminary intellectual maneuver. We must often take such preparatory steps because our thoughts and reflections are loaded down with preconceptions that lie so deep that they begin become manifest only in a crisis, notably when we're not ready to deal with something new. The rise of sociology is just such an object, and it is at first burdened by the preconception that sociology must be exactly like the other sciences and academic disciplines. In our view, the point of methodology is not to destroy a newly emerging object like sociology, something that is first being existentially enacted. The need is rather to work out a methodological apparatus as intricate as we may require to grasp and to understand the novelty. First, accordingly, note our caution about the functions of methodology. The second preliminary move is the recognition that the human sciences are not originally products of university work. What is most important for science originates in life, in distinctive forms of attitude and comprehension for both material and spiritual objects. The overall configuration of emergent problems and systematizations is grounded in the contexture of life. We tend to think that the human sciences, the social sciences, to name just a few, have their birth at the scholar's desk and that they can be classified according to principles appropriate to the teaching enterprise. Max Weber, however, has shown in his legal sociology how legal science arises out of the contexture of life and how systematization only begins when a guilt takes over. The impulse to tra traditionalization, stabilization, rendering teachable, comes from the scholastic element common to both the pedagogical enterprise and system making. This is not to condemn systematization, but its roots are in the pedagogical enterprise. It is very difficult to distinguish between systematization that is genuine and that which arises simply from an arbitrary quote, I want order. The second of our preliminary points then is that sociology has arisen in life and from life before our own eyes, just as philosophy and legal science once did. We ourselves have witnessed its entry into academic life. What is forgotten about other disciplines, that they arose from the contexture of life, is manifest in the case of sociology. We want to avoid the source of error that besets the early, earlier systematized disciplines. Most are affected by it, notably those that should be keeping up with the newly developing life. To be sure, there are subjects, like formal logic and mathematics, that are distanced and thus independent of the process of social emergence. The newly emergent, nevertheless, takes precedence over principles that are already systematized and grounded in earlier systems. The third element I want to introduce is the sociological category of limitation. The essence of limitation, in its deepest sense, consists less of limits on wealth of what can be and what is in fact known, than of limits within the apparatus of conceptualization, of categorization. We try to grasp the whole 
of life through paradigms, models, appropriate to a specific narrow sphere of life. In this sense, everyone is limited. This limitation can only be overcome by means of a constant movement. This entails an attunement to what is common in what is coming into being, using the apparatus of thought and everything that a person can bring to bear on things, a process of self-expansion, situating oneself in the center of what is happening. The present is marked by conflict through particularistic political tensions and disputes among countries. It is a time when particularistic attitudes are forced to take one another's measure. If it is impossible to overcome these tensions, we will see more clearly in such a situation if we undertake a self-audit at every confrontation and conduct ourselves in the spirit of girth words, that every well-observed new object calls forth a new organ in us. That is a decisive statement. If you want to know what essential learning is, note the following. To let such new organs take shape within ourselves, and never to rest until one has in a new contexture of life generated such a new organ. This is the self-expansion whose agent is above all sociology. Not every object is new. In many areas, life simply repeats itself. There are, however, new spheres where one cannot simply apply old categories. For example, if one comes to biology from mechanics, one cannot but see the mechanistic aspects alone. Here we have the problem of limitation. The distinctive did not constitute itself until a new attitude came into being, a standpoint from which this object was capable of being comprehended as well. The object was simply not present in me mechanics. The case is the same in sociology. It is a matter of a new objectification. This was the way towards opening up the problematic, therefore, thereby making the new attitude possible. The essential thing is not that one becomes acquainted with five new pieces of information and gets to know them, but that one appropriates the distinctive movement of thought through which one works up an object sociologically. Such understanding cannot be conveyed by direct transfer, but only on occasions where, where we are faced with new objects and where a process of opening up becomes necessary. Sociology has been criticized for failing to fit the pattern of the specialized sciences. I will here anticipate my response to that charge. I think, taken all together, what we address as sociological is multiform. Three layers can be uncovered. Although these layers tend to divide, they are nevertheless held together by something. We must, on the one hand, isolate them in order to unravel the confusing overlap of things by distinguishing their inter inner essences. Then we can ask ourselves whether the comprehensive concept of sociology still retains a meaning and how the three layers may be interconnected. I assert that sociology, at a certain level, is without a doubt a specialized discipline. In the scientific account of society, it has a clearly delimited subject matter. It, is a, it has a subject matter like any other science as long as it limits itself to addressing such questions as what is a class, a state, or a nation. In a word, as long as it explicates social formations or asks about the social processes that give shape to the movements of society. It analyzes the forms of human coexistence. 
When a sociologist looks at a war, for example, he searches for the general factor that determines this social formation. Limited to such themes, sociology is without a question an unassailable, specialized science. Since it first aspired to become a specialized science, sociology has been occupied with the question of how it must present itself in order to fulfill this objective. In order to have a teachable subject matter correct by academic standards, sociologists have abandoned the social theory of ideas, as well as cultural sociology, precisely the matters that life demanded and that originally led to sociology. In the academic setting, and for instruction, instructional enterprise, however, something has counted as science only if it possessed an unambiguously delimited subject matter. There is also, however, sociology as method within all the specialized human sciences. It is possible to treat the history of love or the idea of freedom or any historical theme in a sociological manner. Sociology is associated also, sociology is accordingly also a method applicable in all human sciences. Perhaps not in the natural sciences because these sciences can't be so directly traced to social processes, although the question must remain open. It is certain that philosophy, literature, and the other human sciences can be treated sociologically. In this class of cases, the essential common factor is not the object, but the method. We shall later define this method more precisely. It is a specifiable method that operates without any ambiguity. Sociology is finally also a posture of consciousness, a specific attitude. Not only that, the new discipline that renders society visible and makes this new method possible is ultimately rooted in the emergence of a specific new posture of consciousness. In the end, that is the foundation for the spiritual possibility of the new discipline. If we want to grasp sociology more deeply, we must begin with man, with man who has become sociological. What is unsettling about the situation is that the whole man must undergo the most profound transformation in order to have access to the sociological way of seeing. It is a matter of a new phase of consciousness, as understood in the philosophy of history. We are experiencing the transition to the sociological stage, and it does not really matter whether this clash between philosophy and sociology is the ultimate conflict. Sociology is a new kind of philosophy, I think. In its actual origins, it is a secularized philosophy. This process of emergence is the most important developmental process in the history of the human spirit. A science can be characterized by its subject matter, by its method, or by the spiritual posture or attitude which marks its emergence. Among the natural sciences, chemistry and physics can be unambiguously characterized by their subject matter. There are other sciences where method dominates. And there are some which can be characterized only by taking a spiritual posture into consideration, disciplines which relate to the human being. The question of spiritual being, which we shall have to discuss further, can be put aside in the case of attitude to external nature, the attitude towards a nature which is simply there to be investigated for its lawful regularities. In contrast to this are the dis disciplines in which man has himself as a subject matter. What is at issue in the discovery of attitude? That in the human sciences, the scientific subject matter under discussion somehow constitutes itself in human life, that it is conditioned by the subject. 
I want to face up directly to the question whether this does not subjectivize the whole of science, whether we do not end up with nothing but relativizations. That is not what we mean. Quite the contrary. The more we see of these factors, the more we can allow for them. We are rendering the sources subject to control. One attends to things quite differently if one views them from this point. As a rule, man thinks as from a remote objective and comprehends things in relation to that goal. It was Dilthey who saw clearly that the inquirer in the human sciences must, must himself arrive at the historical stage where a given study is important. He said that the human sciences must be carried out, carried on by the whole man. The whole man is implicated. Only when we possess the whole man in his historical form can we begin to understand the science proper to that entity. That follows from the thought, present in Hegel and Marx, that in history we have to do with an identity of subject and object. In history we do not gain knowledge of nature external to our inner world. History is a recognition of self, not other. This has a number of consequences. Changes accompany the act of cognition. I change myself as a man at the moment that I come to know myself. Similarly, an act of cognition puts us in a position to change history. Because of the rise of a new posture of consciousness, one that can no longer be contained within the old form, the tension between theory and activity that can be tolerated when face, faced with a house, for example, ceases when it comes to human history. Cognition has its own origins in a way of conducting oneself towards the world, a way of relating to the world, a certain attitude. That is, however, not a theoretical, but an existential act, something in being. It takes place between two entities in being. In short, what is essential is that the constitution of the subject matter turns into a subject matter of science when we establish a relationship to the things, and that cognition only takes place in the medium of that relationship. If one looks at history, it will become